Welcome to the True Crime TV Podcast, where our hosts cover a variety of these shows, sometimes just one episode, sometimes the whole season. Join us as we get to the bottom of the case together. This is Steph. This is Sheila. This is Colleen. And welcome to the Pod Clubhouse coverage of the NBC TV drama, The Thing About Pam. I'm excited. The title of this episode is called She's a Good Friend. This is a very interesting series. I had not previously heard the real story on Pam Hupp. So I am new to this information. I don't feel like you guys are, though. Steph, I've known you a long time. I don't know you to be a true crime aficionado. It always seems that the victim is like some blonde girl. (laughs) And like being some young blonde girl who used to like walk around college campus and like it just freaked me out. So whenever we used to watch Criminal Minds, like I just started getting completely freaked out and just starting to like over worry and overanalyze like, oh my God, is that person trying to murder me? Like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just not capable of like ingesting that much crime information and then like just going on about my day as if. I'm not going to be murdered. So (laughs) it's like just better for my peace of mind to like kind of take these things in bits and pieces. So, but I do love suspense and drama. So like, for example, I love uh, Dead to Me. You know that that's fiction. So when it's a true, you know, documentary style information, that's when I get a little freaked out. I'm just a chicken. Okay. No, that's a that's a to very valid yeah. reaction to have. I grew up in Seattle in the 80s and 90s when, you know, like I started reading Anne Rule books way too young. So I was into all of this before the current kind of wave of true crime. Mm-hmm. But now that it's here, I listen to a lot of the podcasts and I had listened to the the thing about Pam podcast when it came out. The Dateline podcast came out in September of 2019. And I feel like you told me about it about like maybe September 18th of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> so this was also then a Dateline special as well. Yes, yes. it was a, a limited okay. series podcast from Dateline. And it also appeared on Dateline proper about four times. That's right. Because they mentioned that in the podcast. I love that it was narrated by Keith Morrison because I do identify that voice with these like true crime stories. And so it just, I thought that was a really, really good touch. Of course they would have him there. The fact that Keith Morrison is narrating this was something that I was just immediately like, yes, okay, I'm happy. This is my happy place. Colleen told me about this podcast you know, the couple of years ago that it came out. And I I remember being obsessed with it when it came out because the story was just so bonkers. So far, like episode one, Hughes, really close to how the podcast is set up. The initial podcast is narrated by Keith Morrison and one of the Dateline producers as well. Pam is obviously the subject of the podcast, but she doesn't star in the first episode of the podcast because they really take the time to, you know, set up the story. But Keith Morrison in this episode is able to narrate in the first five minutes. So there's something with the visuals that they're able to, you know, slide through this pretty quickly. They definitely set the scene and I thought the um, fantasy sequence when she goes into the white suit and is like showing off her family that really gave the viewer a good idea of her mental mindset about herself yes very quickly yes absolutely I pulled the IMDB tagline caption for the series so it's based on the 2011 murder of Betsy Faria that resulted in her husband Russ's conviction but he insisted he did not kill her This brutal crime set off a chain of events that would expose a diabolical scheme deeply involving Pam Hupp. Having listened to the story beforehand, I know we're in for twists and turns, but I feel like that's a good teaser. 
yeah, it just le- left me wanting more. Like, okay, I'm ready to see what's happening next. Like once I saw the trailer, I was like, okay, this is really interesting. Because number one of the cast, for sure, I like the way it's shot. And like you said, that sort of dream sequence at the beginning, I feel that dreaminess to it, even from the trailer. And I was, it just made me curious. Like, I almost wondered if this was like a spoof, satire kind of thing of a Dateline crime story. Because of the way her makeup was done and the way that her that Pam looked and then Mm -hmm. the way that they just showed us things I'm like is this are they being serious with the way that they're doing this or is it kind of meant to fantasize the Dateline special I don't know but it was interesting to me to watch I think that was very intentional on the part of the the filmmakers because there are so many Dateline specials out there with, you know, reenactments. And if you're going to tell this story and tell it again with Renee Zellweger and all of these people involved, you've got to bring something a little different or a little extra or why are you doing it? So, Steph, you mentioned something that, you know, kind of spurred a thought. This might be like a satire or like a spoof of something. Mm -hmm. I feel like it might be a little bit tongue in cheek as well because of sort of how the story develops the element of the fantastical and the the head scratch, Mm -hmm. the head scratchingness that the story kind of evolves into. Already from what we've seen in this one episode, you can already tell that things are a little bit off the rails. Exactly. I'm not saying the acting is bad, but it's like, are they acting like the acting is bad? Like... Because they're reenacting, quote unquote. So are they pretending to be like a bad reenactment? I'm as the actors is what I'm saying. So yeah. I thought it was really interesting to watch because that's not how Renee Zellweger's acting feels. Feels like she's doing something different, like on purpose to portray Pam in this, you know, sort of fantastical way, which I thought was really interesting. I definitely feel that the way that the cops are being portrayed. Yes. Is it like a joke? <laughs> they forget to Mirandize their, their witness, but right? But did that really happen? Is that, you know what I mean? Or is that part of this version of the story? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and listen to the podcast because I, I hadn't listened to the podcast since I originally heard it. So I listened to episodes one and two today. I didn't go back and listen to the podcast or watch the Dateline special because I wanted to really just get this information fresh Mm -hmm. since you guys do know the story. So I don't know what happens next. So please. No spoilers. No spoilers going ahead. It'll be just contained to this one episode. But this is good. You're like. You're our fresh eyes. Yeah, but we do know it could, we do know because they're saying in the in the IMDb description, and you just know that he does end up convicted of a murder he didn't do. So they're sort of setting up that the cops yeah. are not really on the ball, certainly, exactly, because yeah. they're missing the fact that he had an alibi. He, we, you know, we we as the audience see him at his friend's house and going to Arby's and whatever. So, so I think that may be why they were kind of emphasizing that like didn't get Mirandized and right. doesn't one of the cops say something like oh my 200 hours of training or something like that kind of implying yeah. that he's not been doing this all that long well like as a viewer for the first time it, it was very easy for me to just immediately write out like oh the cop didn't do that and oh they like it <laughs> was very obvious like okay this is a setup for a bad situation for this Russ for the husband yeah yeah I mean he is it's not looking good mister Nope. So, like, like his not okay. Are, am I skipping ahead? By just, do we need to slow back down? But I, it's just I'm so like excited about it because it's like <laughs> that 911 call is the actor who played Russ overdoing it with the 
fake sobbing <laughs> to like <laughs> emphasize how they didn't believe his story, you know, from the night. Yeah. So I just, I'm like, okay, what is happening? I just need to know more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and they do jump around in time a lot. Yes. So, so it makes it a little interesting to discuss because you're like, oh, what, when in the episode did that actually happen? Because mm-hmm. they do jump around and then revisit and then have Pam tell the story differently two or three times. Yes. I'm going to jump back one second in time here. So mm-hmm. we're going to talk about who who brought this to us, right? The creative team, the production team. So we'll give the executive producers here. And Renee Zellweger is one of the executive producers. But I guess in terms of like the development of this. So we have Scott Winant. He's known for things such as Californication and My So-Called Life. Really? Can we take a step back into our oh angsty God. teen years? Speaking of 90s. <laughs> yeah. Jenny Klein, uh, she's another executive producer. She produced The Witcher, The Tick, mm-hmm. and Jessica Jones, as well as Cloak and Dagger. So oh, I feel like she's got a good handle on like the unraveling of a mystery, the development of sort of like that suspense genre. Mm-hmm. Definitely fantastical elements there. Right. And then you've got The Witcher, too. So you have sort of like that fantastical sort of that super period type, you know, drama as well, where this is, you know, not necessarily a period drama, but it's definitely styles itself a certain way, I guess. And then there's Mary Margaret Kuntz, whose experience uh, is similar to Jenny Klein. They work together on Cloak and Dagger. And then Mary Margaret Kuntz also has done Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Daredevil. So again, this unraveling of a mystery. And then Scott Winant also does some of the directing on some of these episodes as well. Hmm. He has a long past dating back to like before the West Wing of directing episodes. He did like Breaking Bad and like West Wing, like I said, he did some of the my, my so-called life back in the day. Duh, he's got some storied tales to tell. I guess the characters, like we've talked a bit about them already, but like, you know, who's who in the family zoo here? Uh, (laughs) Because it is a zoo. Um, Yeah. So Pam Hopp is played by Renee Zellweger. So I feel like you can really tell something about like what people watch, where they know prolific actors from. I usually use Tim Curry as my my test case of like, how old are you? (laughs) (laughs) So Colleen, if I say Renee Zellweger, what is the first work that she's done that pops in your mind for you? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say the, well, the first work she did, but the first one that comes to me is Mm -hmm. Chicago. And I think that it's partially because that character sort of reminds me of Pam a little bit in that sort of delusional self-confidence way. Oh my God, that is... That is a deep cut right there. <laughs> yeah, just the the like fantasy life is so rich that it spills over into their into their real life with semi disastrous consequences. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. I, I think that's a really good one. What about you, Steph? Yeah, I would say Chicago for sure. But um, also, I had seen her on this really interesting series called What If, and she was like this also like diabolical manipulative i don't know rich lady that was like messing with people's lives it was so interesting yeah you told me about that show i watched it because of it you it was so good it was fantastic i think it's on netflix yeah netflix i think so yeah. i do and i like her from a lot of these like silly little love movies like there's one about like i think it's called the bachelor or and then also my kids, you know, I got little kids. We watch the B movie a lot. And for some reason, I love her in that movie. I don't know why. It's so funny. We love that movie, though. It's just Oh, hilarious. I haven't watched that in a long time. It's such a good movie. So I'm going to say Bridget Jones is definitely something I associate with her. So like when I think about 
Renee Zellweger, Bridget Jones comes to mind. Um, and specifically the fight scene between Colin Firth and Hugh Grant's characters when they're like fighting in the fountain in the second movie and in the first movie when they're having the fight in the Greek restaurant. I don't know, just that whole scene, the way that it plays out. And she's just like, so just standing there in like her own like little world of horror. I guess I can relate to her in some ways because I feel like my life is sometimes a bit of a disaster as well. But I just find her character, her demeanor to be very palatable. So I was interested to see how she was going to take on this um, weird person that is Pam Hupp, who's a real person and by all accounts is just as weird as she's being portrayed. But I like the fact that, Colleen, that you brought up Chicago because of how that same like deer in the headlights kind of wonderment is at play. I'm a costume designer, and so I tend to pay attention to things related to costume. And Renee Zellweger is wearing a fat suit and facial prosthetics. I believe she's wearing chin pieces, a nose piece, and probably something on her neck as well. I'm not sure exactly, but I saw a bunch of articles about, oh, you know, it was 80 minutes in the chair every morning to to transform Renee Zellweger. There's a lot of discussion right now kind of in the entertainment industry about casting thin actors and then putting them in a fat suit and like why 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 wouldn't you cast somebody with that body type already? I can understand people who feel like there is less opportunity and less representation for heavier actresses. On the other hand, Renee Zellweger is a name and she's probably part of why this got greenlit because she wanted to play Pam. It's a big conversation. And I've also heard about actors who've, you know, radically transformed their bodies for roles. One that comes to mind is Christian Bale. Yeah. He lost mm -hmm. something like 90 pounds or something to play in The Machinist. Mm -hmm. And within the same year, gained 100 pounds to play Batman in Batman Begins in like, what, yeah. 2005 or something like that. But and then he also gained weight and then later on for Vice. And he even said, he's like, you know, these body transformations, they're taking a toll on my health. In mm -hmm. the article I'd read, Renee Zellweger said because of Bridget Jones that she specifically didn't want to gain weight. And I would never suggest that somebody like hurt their health for a, a movie or anything. But again, it just comes back to why couldn't you cast somebody who looks more like Pam Hupp if you want somebody who looks like Pam Hupp? Then we would miss out on Renee Zellweger's fantastical... <laughs> <laughs> portrayal like that's the thing that like i said earlier it kind of made me question whether the way she looked kind of made up was on purpose mm -hmm. you know what i mean like i don't think yeah. that's just they couldn't afford a good makeup artist like that you know what i mean i think it's like intentional those are good prosthetics but exactly. prosthetics yeah, at but... the end of the day are prosthetics like they're not mm -hmm. they're not going to move a exactly the same way well i'm just saying i think the way she looked a little bit off to me like i thought that was on purpose i thought she looked a little bit off but i didn't know if that was because i knew prosthetics were involved yeah i mean the show is definitely got a, a like you said a satire or a it's not playing it completely straight if that's how they're playing it then that helped the case you know for it to be like this is weird this is very strange both sides have good arguments because you do want to have better representation. But at the same time, like, are you going to have, like Colleen, like you said, are you going to have like a heavy hitter whose presence alone is enough to carry the show? Right. Because, I mean, you have attached to her name is two time Oscar winner award, you know, award winner yeah. Renee Zellweger playing Pam Hupp. Um, any of the promos that I've seen. And then when you start adding in people like Josh 
Judy Greer. You know, these are, you know, some people who have, you know, some cred behind Judy Greer. I love her too. And I was like looking at her and I was like trying to picture. I'm like, I I know your face. It's just this, this angular haircut. (laughs) I'm I'm having trouble trying to place you. And then I'm like, okay, let me see you with red hair in my mind. Let me see you with blonde hair. I'm like, oh, got you, Judy. Yep. I was like, mom from Jurassic Park. I got to say, if they'd let Melissa McCarthy get her teeth into this, it might have been something interesting. You know, that would have been fantastic because she just has that flair for both comedy and darkness as well. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I I feel like all comedians have like this darker side to them that, you know, they just need to have let out once in a while. All right. So how's the casting working for you so far? So Josh Duhamel has actually not yet appeared. He, He comes in episode two. Which I cannot wait for because the trailer at the end of this episode for trailer oh my gosh, for episode wait. two, I was like, <laughs> I'm very excited. Oh my gosh. Joel Schwartz, the lawyer, featured heavily in the podcast as well. So it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see because he did provide a lot of the narration. I also learned in just researching for this that Josh Duhamel's voice was Captain Flynn in Jake and the Neverland from <laughs> Disney Junior. And I never funny. knew that because there was a lot of Jake and the Neverland Pirates floating around my house about 2014. So, <laughs> <laughs> so episode one so far. I know we talked about the cops and how like they're playing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Renee Zellweger as Pam, is that working for you? For me, it is. I think this is really great casting. And I'm excited to see these actors specifically. Like, I love Judy Greer and anything she's in. Like, she is such a great actress, I think. I just think any role that she's in, it's usually a supporting type of role, but she's always just really killer in it. So, I really like Katie Mixon. The first sort of show I know her from is Mike and Molly. Oh my God. I didn't even... I loved that show. I didn't even recognize her. Yes. Oh, wow. And she's been in several other TV series since where she's started, and she's starting to play like moms. And so this... almost didn't recognize her uh, just her facial features and then her voice her I voice know her voice I'm a little sad that she's the one who's killed off because I'm hoping there's more of her you know in this reenactment we're going to go back and see more of her because as an actress I really like her I think she's got credits in just about every episode okay good she has credits in a lot of things actually the flashbacky way they're telling the story so far it seems like she'll probably at least feature if not yeah yeah i think she's gonna be around a lot but as far as the casting and and who's playing who i do think it is working and i i like that these cops are just sort of confused and like what's happening i call them bumbling (laughs) i loved the two cops who came to interview Mm -hmm. renee zellweger the girl in (laughs) particular would just like when she was just like sort of looking around like wide-eyed at what was going on they were making me laugh And then she was like answering her. She's like, no, she said she didn't go in. I'm like, yeah. shut up and let her answer. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I know we haven't seen and we probably won't see, but the person who played Pam Hupp's husband seems like very quirky to me. And I'm like, is this guy, are we going to hear him talk? Because he looks interesting. Her husband, Mark? Yeah. Like he just looked like anytime he's on the camera, I'm like, what's he up to? Like he looks a little (laughs) like funny. I'm like, what's happening? Again, love Judy Greer. I think they did a really nice job kind of just casting people who fit what they were trying to be, you know, kind of Midwestern moms and townspeople and the cops and whatever. It seems like they're trying to do something different, not just by the numbers Dateline episode. Like they're definitely trying to do something a little bit more a little bit something extra. So I liked Mm -hmm. that. I liked Mm -hmm. that. I don't think I would want to sit through a six hour rehash of stuff they've already done. I agree. I think it's very interesting. 
and you know, I've said it here, but just because I'm such a newbie to even this story, I don't know what's going on. And so I am just like riveted. I'm like, oh my God, this lady is so crazy. (laughs) So I'm definitely drawn in by this first episode for sure. I think it's so darkly comedic. It almost begs the question, like, should it be? Like, we talked a little bit about like, is this on purpose? Like, are they trying to like, you know, make a satire? Because like at the end of the day, it's like someone is dead. And like any time that I'm like, tell anybody that like, I love true crime, but I swear I'm not a psychopath. I swear. (laughs) But I think they've done a really good job of setting up the story in the sense that like, you don't really like Pam from the outset, right? You see Mm -hmm. how quickly that she's, she's a narcissist, that she's so selfish and that she has like this you know, and you guys talked about in terms of like, you know, where you, you know, associate Renee Zellweger from with um that doe-eyed, you know, you know, fabrication of life that she's that she's got going on in this in this series, too. Yeah. So I just think that they've done a really good job in setting up how how the next five episodes are going to go. Like you're already in a way where you're just like, mm, yeah, I don't like Pam so much. And obviously it's called mm-hmm. The Thing About Pam. I felt like this episode was fast. Like it it flew by for me because I was just yeah, sitting there. I was just like, it did. you know, I was trying to remember the podcast. And, you know, then I was like, I really don't care because they're going to cover all the bases. And I just enjoyed sort of watching this story that like lives in the recesses of my mind, how it's playing out so far on the, on the screen, the way that they're they're setting it up. I'm enjoying the satire because I do know what's coming. Um, so I appreciate like what they've done so far. And I, I really like Steph hearing from you, new never having heard the story before, that you're also enjoying where, you know, where this is coming from. Yeah. Like I am so cringed out by Pam. Like anytime she talks, I'm like, Ugh. this like husband Russ. I'm like, what is this? Is he really this clueless? Like, ask for a lawyer. Like, I'm so invested. <laughs> so funny. All right. So what did you think about Russ's 911 call? I don't know yet. Actually, Judy Greer's character, Leah Askey, when the the DA, when she comes in and she's like, God, I thought he would like had all his tears cried out <laughs> yeah. already. Yeah. It's just so confusing. I mean, like, do you, you believe see... him? Do you believe him? Is it too much? Is it over the top? Like they're all saying, do you, what, what's your take on it? I don't know, because I didn't feel like the actor in this episode was actually crying and distraught. So it's like, is he playing up the fact that they didn't think he was being sincere? So just at the, you know, base level of what happened, is he really thinking that she committed suicide? She's got stab wounds covering her body and a knife out of her neck. Like, why would you say that? So, yeah, it it does seem very fishy. It makes him very suspicious because you're like, what? Like, if you walk into someone in your house with a knife in their neck, you're going to call it and be like, oh, my God, why my wife was murdered. Like, if not, she committed suicide. What about you, Colleen? What was your take on his call? I think they're trying to set him up as somebody who's sort of terminally naive because he's a white guy, middle class from middle America. Like he's never had to worry about the police and he's clearly not a true crime aficionado or he would know to get a get a lawyer immediately and that they always think the husband did it. They're trying to portray the character as sincere in the kind of hysterics he was in. And I don't know, maybe I guess the actor didn't get there for you, Steph. But I I think they're trying to set up his character as somebody who's just can't conceive of the fact that the cops aren't there to protect him to his detriment. Like that he can't imagine. Because he knows he didn't do it, that everybody else doesn't immediately see that as well. And I think if you 
pay attention to true crime or pay attention to the legal system at all, you know that's not how it works. But if you're somebody who's just kind of gone through life and not really thought about it to any great degree because you haven't had to, I could see where you'd be like, well, I know I'm innocent, therefore I'm fine. That's not the case. Exactly. Especially yeah. when they when they intercut with him saying, oh, you know, Pam's a nice lady. She helps us out. And then you cut smash cut to her saying, oh, you know, he's abusive and he yells at her. And you you really see that he has been completely hoodwinked by Pam and yeah. then also hoodwinked by the cops and everybody else, unfortunately for him. I did appreciate the fact that Keith Morrison's narration came over the top of that saying it's like the worst phone call of his life and it's going to be picked mm-hmm. apart word by word because it reminds you then, yes, that the cops do have a narrative. And they even say like, well, the, the, the rookie cop is like, oh, I was expecting my first murder to be harder than this. Right. And yeah. they're like, well, we have statistics for a reason, buddy. So they're... I mean, they've already decided. Exactly. Yeah. They're just using his call now to frame their narrative narrative and mm-hmm. you know try to figure out how to set him up for this did you guys ever see that like netflix special on amanda knox it's actually her interviewing and this mm-hmm. is like her this is what she's saying is like people are so freaked out by her because she didn't do it and like the narrative was so twisted and the cops did all these things and like she went down for it and she's like this is everyone's worst nightmare and like that's the feeling i get when i'm like watching russ go through this i'm like dude you're just saying all the wrong things and you're letting them say yeah, you want you want to shake him and be like, yes. "Don't do that!" Right? Get a lawyer. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I got a pop quiz. A J four is called in by the cops. What is a J four? I have to assume a murder. But... I just was assuming a murder. Yeah. It's a DOA. It's just a fatality. It's not at any categorization of a murder or a homicide or a suicide. It's it's nothing. It's just that we have a dead body. I was going to say, you're so good with the information. My search history is going to become the uh, Sheila, do of... not ever get in trouble for anything. <laughs> I swear, like, my search history needs an asterisk going, please look at Pod Clubhouse. Yeah, please <laughs> do not. Go look at Yellowstone. Go look at Prodigal Son. Go look at all these things. You know, that's why I have, like, you know, what's a deep we're like either. looking up like dead zones in Wyoming where you can yep. dump bodies. And we're yep. like, where it's <laughs> technically legal to kill people. Yep, that's in my yeah. search history. <laughs> I'm worried for you, Sheila. That's all right. I'm going to keep my nose clean. I'm not going to okay, you know, make any, you know, over the top 911 calls. I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not going to claim someone did suicide when uh, mm-hmm. it's clearly a murder. Yeah, the knife sticking out of her neck was pretty, uh, pretty indicative of something else. I feel that we learned a lot about Pam in a couple of scenes that we saw about her. And I wanted to get your take on it. So the scene where she's ironing money is one. I have lots of questions about that. I have many questions. <laughs> I'm okay, not lots of questions, but one big question is Sure, go for hell? it. Yeah, go what, for it. What what is happening? I do not understand. I really like, hope that comes up in a later episode because otherwise I, Please, I'm so confused. And then she puts it in the piggy bank, like her little Well, she puts the burned one in the piggy bank and leaves the other ones out. Well, you only need 51% of a dollar bill of whatever it is to to have it be legal tender. Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. Sheila, you have so much information. I I know that because my dog ate one once. <laughs> I have a um, dollar bill downstairs in my junk drawer that has been torn directly in half, and I just can't decide what to do with it. I'm like, bring it to I the bank. Ta- I'm like, do right. I try taping it back together? Nope, no, just bring just it to the bank. Just take it to the bank. Don't give you a new one. As long as they can put the two halves back together, yeah, you're good to go. Pieces. But like, oh. if your little brother rips your tooth fairy money in half oh. and takes the other half thinking that he's going to have... 50 cents? <laughs> well, 50 cents I, I think dollars. it was... like I think I got like $5. Ooh. I think it was a big tooth. Ooh. Tooth fairy had rich blood. 
Yeah, I think it was like my first. Well, he also yanked the tooth out. So I, I feel like he had like a part to play in it. So I think he thought that he should get like his <laughs> he big. Entitled to so he took, he, he literally ripped it in half and took the half and thought that he would have like 250 of the five. Constituted for you in a brand know. new $5 bill. A whole dollar I need to re- be reimbursed for. Stick with me, kids. You'll learn just <laughs> useless information. Tips and tricks. Yeah. Right? Well, that was actually a good one. But um, yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like we learned a lot about her from just her interaction with money okay money okay she's ironing her money who irons their money i've never no idea in my decades on this earth i have never seen anybody iron money and then did you notice when she's the cops are coming to her door and she opens up the drawer for a comb and there's a stack of 20s no i didn't didn't see that that. okay so right before the cops the wide-eyed cops are going to interview their first ever you know suspect for a murder or at least information for a murder because she's not a suspect right you know she's out of the shower her hair is all askew she opens up a drawer and it's not like a drawer for like your hair it's just like a hallway drawer it's like yes exactly it's like Like you know your sideboard exactly it's like a junk drawer Mm -hmm. so her yellow comb is in there whatever color it is you know she opens the drawer and i just happen to like pay attention to the drawer and there's a stack of 20s, like a bank stack of 20s what? in hmm. that drawer. In the scene where she is ironing the money, she's talking to her husband, Mark, who we see for like all of 10 seconds. And he's just, like you said, Steph, he's like wonderfully quirky. Like he's just going along with, okay, you're ironing your money. Like, okay. That must be a regular occurrence in their house. Because he didn't seem all that like fussed by it. Like, No, he definitely seemed nonchalant. Yeah. <laughs> But she mentions feeling inadequate. Like, so no, she doesn't. Well, I took that she felt inadequate from what she said that, you know, she goes, well, if I had that money for a beanbag chair, you know, I would have been able to go to college. Um, So that line I definitely clocked. So she's definitely has feelings of inadequacy. And I'm also like, people go to college at any age. I mean, like a friend of mine just became a lawyer and she's turning 45 this year. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a very interesting character portrayal. And like they're sneaking in these little things here and there. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's very telling if you have a piggy bank next to your bed. What's on your nightstand kind of thing. I have some skincare. (laughs) I have my TV remote. You know, there's my phone charger. I don't have a piggy bank. Like, I feel like the things that you surround yourself with are the things that like, I mean, there's a picture of my kid in my room, you know. (laughs) I have a question for you guys about the DA. So Judy Greer, I, uh-huh. she literally had like, what, four minutes in this whole episode. But I for yeah. me, like she was definitely a awesome. show stealer. Yes. Can we talk about this question that she asked the cop who calls her? What if I was home with Chris? Exactly. You can't call me this late. I'm like, what is their deal? I like circled that like question mark. Um, Hello. It's happening. I don't remember anything from the podcast. So this is this is brand new for me. Yeah, that definitely stuck out to me. And then she's the one who reminds him, like, you Mirandized him, right? And the, the Keystone cop. Like, dash down the hallway. Yeah, it wouldn't okay. be like, hold on, I'll be back. I'd be like, uh, okay, I'll call you back later. Call you back in 10, right? Well, and you, like, saw her roll her eyes. Because yeah. she clearly she knew knows. exactly what he was doing. I'm like, come on, oh this God. is like Police Bork 101. Like, I just got off a month of grand jury duty, so now I consider myself like an expert on all oh, things goodness. law and order. <laughs> <laughs> Your knowledge is just expanding exponentially. I know. Speaking of law and order, did we did we clock the law and order font for the like disclaimer in the front and also the times were done in the law and order font? I did not notice that. Oh my god, I've got to go back and watch that. Oh, like the seven oh four p.m. or whatever. Yeah, it has the it has it has the red drop shadow the same way Law and Order does. I noticed it, but I didn't know where it was from. Oh, good eye, good eye. Well, they're both NBC properties. Yeah, that would make. 
complete mm-hmm. sense. I'm waiting for the dun-dun to happen someday. <laughs> We've talked a little bit about the um, the cops interviewing Pam, but I mean, like, can we dive into this a little bit more? Because, yes, yes. holy cow, I've got questions. How do they, okay, I'm just going to start off from the top. How do they not see through her BS? Like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, but she's lying. Like, Is it literally their first day? I mean, they Even both look Even if it were your young. first day, wouldn't you have a little bit more... <laughs> But like her timeline is all over the place. It was literally the night before. Well, but the the female cop does clock it, but she doesn't seem like she's kind of assertive enough or maybe doesn't feel like it's her place to really go after Pam. Because she does say things like, oh, it wasn't weird that the lights were off and Russ's car was in the driveway. The, The male cop doesn't seem to clock it, though. He just kind of keeps nodding along. The scene where the, these cops are invest or questioning Pam uh, is just so intriguing. Like I love the way that they did this. Like, and if this is you know the portrayal of of Pam Hupp, it should have been better. You know, like on her part because they showed her awake. You know, when she got the phone call about Betsy. So she, you know, if you've been up all night, like rethinking how you just committed a murder and what you're going to say and what you're going to do, like her story should have been a little bit more on point. And But then I think it's also sort of genius how she's like still in her bathrobe and then she grabs a Kleenex and it's like, it's been a rough morning. You know, like she's like sort of doing all the things and like, here's my cell phone. I made a phone call. Like it's like calculated, but also sloppy. It was just really interesting to watch. I'm like, wow, she's either a genius or an idiot or both. I don't know, but. I, th- I think both. Well, I think she's somebody who who's not as smart as she thinks she is. Yes. Because to me, if my best friend was just murdered and you told me, I would be in my bathrobe in tears. Like, I wouldn't be, you know, like put together. So I thought that was a good if Pam was sort of calculating like, OK, I'm going to stay in my PJs. I'm not going to be put together. Yeah. My hair is going to be wet. Like, answering the yeah, door. Like, like, that, like, I think that was a detail that you know, you could have easily looked over, but it's just at the same time, it's just like, I'm, I'm not going to be, it would be more suspicious if I was, my hair was all blown out. Yeah. And she had like opened the door wearing pearls and heels and it's 7 a.m. Like like, the way that the fantastical scene in the beginning with her intro happened. If she had her, her husband and her kids like standing on the staircase smiling, like that would be suspicious, but it's like, (laughs) but she is suspicious. So she's saying all these weird things. So it's like, and I like how they showed her awake, like before the phone call. So to me, I'm thinking, okay, if I've been laying there thinking up all of these details, like, wouldn't you have been able to deliver it a little bit better, Pam? Like, come on. Listen, she's laying next to somebody who sleeps in a seat, the, the BiPAP machines. <laughs> do you have any idea how loud those suckers are? I do not. They are Thankfully. loud. They are loud. I went to visit a friend of mine a couple of years ago in the hospital and his roommate had one of those BiPAP machines. It was so loud. And oh, so the, that would be the first person okay. to murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I just feel like there's other things in her story to the cops that are just going to be problematic later on if if the cops were competent, let's competent. put it that way. Yeah. But again, yeah, I think that's also showing up that they like locked in on the husband and didn't look because like her story is yeah, completely but- fishy and they're not paying attention to that at all. I really liked how the Pam timeline sort of shifted here, where Mm -hmm. Betsy went from being Betsy that we saw play out in the beginning 
to like Betsy in the headscarf, Betsy with the lollipop because she was nauseous. So Betsy was getting sicker as Pam's mm-hmm. narrative was happening. Then all of a sudden, sing, a bag appeared, you know, as they're walking yeah. into to yeah. Betsy's house. I appreciate the fact that we're seeing the inner workings of Pam's mind as well. Like, you know, she's concocting this stuff on the fly and she's got to remember these details. And like, if they were yes. paying attention, you know, she's going to get tripped up. But I also feel like Russ's car being in the driveway is, you know, something that you would get caught out on at some point because it's like, how's that not going to be a problem later on when it's proven that Russ was at Arby's at 9.09 p.m., right? Whatever right. whatever the receipt yeah. said. Can I just talk for a second about sneaky Arby's and how much that made me laugh? <laughs> because um, so Colleen and I have been friends for a very long time. There's three of us that live within like 10 minutes drive of each other and we go get sometimes like sneaky Dairy Queen. Uh, I can't believe I'm sharing my secrets to the world. Don't tell, don't tell. It's okay because I, it made me laugh so much because I'm like, that is such a thing. It's just like when you when you have like husbands and children at home, you just like sometimes. Like, I don't want to bring home snacks for everybody. I'm just going to get I don't snacks share. for me. Exactly. <laughs> going to get secret snacks. Taco Bell because you can like eat and pay with cash and yep. like whatever couple of bucks you have in your wallet. And then like nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> and and the trick is with sneaky with sneaky ice cream or sneaky Arby's or sneaky Taco Bell is to throw the stuff out before you get home. Exactly. <laughs> and this way nobody I have knows. A, um, trash can in my garage that would just give away all of my late night snacks if anyone dared to even look. But no one does, so it's fine. So therefore, your secret is safe. Yeah. But I appreciated sneaky Arby's. I thought that was very funny. <laughs> <That's> funny. <laughs> We've all been there. It's fine. Do you think that um, that was a good play for Pam to go out sort of after the cops left and ask, like, should I be worried about Russ? Like, is he dangerous? Like, is that just like the next step in her plan to frame him and make him seem dangerous? Like, I thought that was kind of evil genius of her. Yeah. I mean, she's clearly trying to, like, Mm -hmm. throw him under the bus at every opportunity. So, like, they were asking about their marriage and she's like, oh, he was so mean to her and yelled at her and... I can't wait to see that like more information come out about she's acting like she's only been around him three times in 10 years, but yet she yeah. knows so much about their marriage and he was a abu- Like she knows all these things. Well, how, if you weren't there, like, how do you know? And then Russ saying like, oh, she's such a nice lady. Well, how would he know she's a nice lady if they've never spent, like, he would also be saying like, I don't know. She's never around. Like, exactly. so I want that to come out a little bit more. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely feel that that Pam's spinning a yarn here with the cops and it's a way for her to ingratiate herself to them going like, well, I could be the next victim. Right. Mm-hmm. So I need your mm-hmm. protection. Right. So that it's a very I thought it was a very calculated yes. method for her to further gain the cops trust. And she gives like this smirk, like uh, the cops don't see it, but she's like, mm-hmm. like, like, OK, like I got that neatly wrapped up. Thanks very much. So then we come back to the D.A. again. Right. So she's she visits the cops in the the police station while they're interviewing Russ. That's when she says the snide remark that you think he, after that call, he'd run out of tears. But she's throwing shade right at the cops for the the supervisor. Like, oh, you were promoted last month. Oh, six months. Well, it shows. What I will tell you is that I did listen to the, like the first two podcasts this morning. The first podcast talks about the DA. This is her first murder case. Oh. So I'm like, for somebody with no murder experience, Miss Askey, you are throwing an awful lot of shade. Mm, Interesting. So I feel like that also, like her demeanor, you know, saying something like, 
I thought he'd be all cried out. It's already feeding further into the cops narrative that like we got our guy. This is open and shut. We're good to go. Yeah. Like, that's so scary. Yes. And that's what that's what's really like. I'm a huge fan of Alfred Hitchcock. And that's kind of his play is like this shit could happen to anybody by anybody. Like these are not. Your innocence you know, lays being at the hand. Or you're being framed for something you didn't do, or like you're a mistaken identity. And innocence isn't a shield. Like it yes. doesn't protect you. Right. I know it's so scary. And that is scary. Yeah. So I mean, so like scary. that's that's a perfect point. Is that someone else's incompetence could land me in jail for, <sighs> you know, a, I mean, a life sentence, right? If it's murder. Um, I know. I mean, it's fun to watch on TV, but man, <laughs> any like high profile murder where a woman is murdered. And she's married nine times out of 10. It's the husband. Right. So, you know, Scott Peterson comes to mind. You know, Russ is in good company in these cops' minds. Yeah. Do we need to talk any more about Betsy or is she just kind of a side note? Like, I don't know. We should talk a little more about Betsy. I mean, she she comes across as very warm and dealing with a really hard thing. And I felt really bad for her when she's crying in the car about like her daughters when she's gone because she has metastatic breast cancer. They say that, you know, she had breast cancer and they thought they got it all. And then it had spread to her liver, which means metastatic breast cancer, which Mm -hmm. means terminal breast cancer. It didn't mean she was going to die tomorrow, but it it did mean she was looking at the end of her life and she's crying about her daughters and hoping Pam will, will help her daughters. And Pam is sort of like, well, let's call my husband. They're there. You know, they're there. I was like, ugh. Pam isn't even that nice to Betsy. And it's like everyone seems to just like stare at her, at Pam, just like, what are you doing? Like when she's at her mom's house, like waiting for Betsy to finish her game, like, why are you such an asshole? Right. And then with the the littering and like throwing the kid's bike on the the sidewalk. sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, Like, why do people think she's a nice person? Because they don't actually see her at all. Yeah, they don't. You know, you know, you know, people like this, like, you know, I was doing this fundraiser for school and I'm like, I don't understand. Like that woman slammed the door in my face and was just like, I don't have any money. Get out of here. And I was like an eight year old kid. So I just tried to like, you know, sell like candy door to door or whatever. My mom said something. She goes like, well, you have to understand that there's like street angel home devil. Right. So you're an angel Mm. on the street. And then when you're at home, you're a completely different person. It's like a little Irish superstition kind of a thing. But it's always stayed with me because I'm like, oh, there's there's a lot of people like that. Like you, mm-hmm. you're face to the world. But then when you actually like, you know, get down to brass tacks, like you're like maybe not a nice person or maybe you're a very nasty person or maybe you're a murderer. <laughs> potentially. Like it, yeah. It made me feel very sorry for Betsy to like have to be friends with Pam. It's like she didn't even want to be friends with her. Like Pam's like, yes. well, I'm going to come get yeah. you and I'm going to make you this and you're going to eat a sucker. And, I, and she's like, oh, my God. Like, I don't want to go. Like, I, I don't want to leave my mom's house. And she's like, yes. let's go. I drove all the way here. Like, you don't have to be friends with this horrible person. (laughs) When Pam is making the call to Betsy after everything's happened, right? So she's in her car and there's a dog barking and she's like, hey, Betsy, you mad at me? You know, I'm just trying to check Mm -hmm. on you. You know, call me back. But the dog is barking. One, is Pam supposed to be home when she makes that call? Mm -hmm. She tells the cop she's home when she She makes that mm -hmm. call. Okay. But then the dog barking, is that Betsy's dog? I think that's supposed to be Betsy's dog. Well, and also they were clearly, they zoomed in on her I Heart Dogs bumper sticker yeah. and then mm-hmm. she's being mean yeah. to the dog. So I think that yeah. was just another way to show that like she's not who she presents to the world. But yes, I think she said to the cops that she was home when she made that call. So she's just setting up her alibi again. According to her, she dropped Betsy off, left immediately, 
and went home as opposed to going in. I thought that was funny that she's like, I love dogs. I love dogs. And then she's like, just not that kind. That dog was horrible. Like, yeah. I don't like aggressive dogs. <laughs> I don't like that kind. So before we wrap up, I want to just share something that I've met Keith Morrison. I've stood next to him. <laughs> I've looked up at him. I'm like, he is far up there. He is a tall he, man. He is a tall man. A couple of years ago, I feel like it was like, 20, yes, it was right after the, uh, the thing about Pam came out. There was an event on at the Paley Center for the Arts in the city. And as part of my coverage for Pop Culture Review, Mike had asked me to go and cover this Paley Fest. Dateline was the headliner. And oh, I was gotcha. like, hello, cool. yes, send me there. So there was a red carpet. I got to, you know, what? take pictures of, of Andrea and Josh and Keith. And it was like the Canadian Thanksgiving. So I wish both of uh, Andrea and <laughs> Keith a happy Thanksgiving. And they were like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> and I have to say in person, they are far more captivating to listen to like because really? you don't actually get to see them much together on camera so to no. see the, them sitting together on a stage you know talking about how they came up in the industry and just their just their stories it was just such a wonderful hour to spend and it was just fun to you know fun to to see these people that i spent a lot of time with yes <laughs> uh up close and personal but yeah keith morrison is as fantastically larger than life as in person as he is on Dateline. So um, and even in how he narrates this, like it's he's true to his character. With that, it's I really guess cool. we're nearing the end, I guess, of this episode. Did you guys watch the trailer for episode two? I did. Yes, I watched the kind of coming up on. Hooked, line and sinker. I'm like, yes, cannot wait. So I, I, I thought it was riveting. So I'm just I can't wait to yes. like sit down and watch it tomorrow when the rest of the world is watching the first episode <laughs> i know i'm just so excited to be because i really don't know like obviously i know what happens but i don't know what happens and so i'm just so excited like i'm like okay i've got to watch this and it's like just such a good setup yeah it's such a good setup for me to like like i'm looking forward to hating pam even more i'm looking forward <laughs> to like shaking my head at russ like what the hell is wrong with you like the cops just being like, really? Well, there, you know. there are definitely twists and turns to come. Can't wait. I love twists and turns. It's like a little sad that this is real life, but if it were fiction, yeah. I'd be like all about it. This, it feels like fiction. I mean, to it someone does feel who, fiction. Yeah. To someone who maybe didn't read any of the, the backstory, like the IMDb caption based on the 2011 murder. Um, mm -hmm. This would feel fictionalized, very much a made up story. It and does. just just wait, just strap in because like it just started. <laughs> Uh, so any final thoughts, anything that you need to throw out there? I don't know. So any of these listeners, like, guys, don't tell me. <laughs> I already have, like, people. So I was telling my one of my friends that I was doing this podcast. She's like, oh, my God, I know that story. I'm like, shush. <laughs> no spoilers. I don't like to be spoiler alert. No so. spoilers, indeed. So I'm interested to see how they take it and kind of what they do with the source material. I mean, what they've done so far, I'm enjoying what I've heard so far um, and seen so far, I'm excited to enter, you know, Joel Schwartz, uh, you know, de criminal defense attorney extraordinaire. Mm. I, I just I want to see more of Judy Greer. I want to see her yes. and Josh kind of like go at it. It's a spectacle in and of itself. Forget the storyline. I just feel like they're two personalities together. Yeah. So we'll be back here next week for episode two, uh, which we've seen the trailer of at the end of episode one. And the three of us are, are quite riveted. So we can't wait <laughs> to we can't wait to dive into that. So we hope that we see you back here 
next week. So as we wrap up here, if you could head on over to wherever you got this podcast from, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, Google, any of the above, if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, we would very much appreciate it. This way you can get notified when we drop new episodes. A five-star review is greatly appreciated. It helps a lot in promotion of the show and its rankings. It helps other people find it as well. Thanks for listening, guys. This is Steph. This is Sheila. This is Colleen. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.